You're listening to Rivers Radio, WXRWLP 104.1 FM, Milwaukee. Well, it's River West Radio's end of the year fun drive, and we are encouraging people to go to riverwestradio.com and click the donate button or click the link to Facebook and show us some love there. Like us, donate to us, uh, leave a comment. Um, I appreciate you being out there and being a listener to River West Radio. One of the fun things about doing a fun drive is not doing a fun drive the way you're supposed to, where you just ask for money all of the time. And so instead, uh, we're doing just some special programming. Um, I hope you've been able to check it out. If you haven't, the place to go is riverwestradio.com. So we have, um, a, we have a show today that is called What's Good to Give? Philosophical Perspectives. And so I'm welcoming Greg Sadler and Dan Hayes to discuss philosophical insights about generosity, giving, and supporting community from, a, from Stoic and other perspectives um, right here on River West Radio. So um, let's hear the sound of Greg. Hi, Greg. Hey, how are you? I'm all right. And Dan, what do you sound like? This is me. This is Dan Hayes. All right, good. You have different voices. So I'll let you guys um, introduce yourselves, and thanks for being on River West Radio. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you. You want to go first, Dan? Sure. So, uh, my name is uh, Dan Hayes, and I'm a, I guess, amateur philosopher, and um, uh, mostly follower stoicism, and been a good student of Greg's for the last couple of years. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, you're, you're doing a lot on, on on your own as well. Dan uh, Dan should mention too that he co-leads the uh, Milwaukee Stoic Fellowship, and. Uh, does the stoic walk and talks and that that sort of thing we'll talk more about that later so um i'm greg sadler i'm a local practical philosopher i have my own my own business but i also teach uh more or less uh regularly for myad matc sometimes for marquette as well and uh we have there's there's actually quite a, a cool philosophy scene here in milwaukee that's oriented towards practical philosophy rather than just academic philosophy and so that we're going to share some of the insights from that having to do with uh, giving generosity um, and uh, gratitude and you know, sort of the three G's. And uh, we have a whole show lined up. Dan has a few questions that people have given him to, for us to chew on. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've got a lot of great topics lined up. Uh, but we should talk about first, you know, the whole River West Radio giving, donation, that sort of thing, right? It is the charitable season, is it not? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so this is River West Radio, and they are. Uh, this is their year-end fund drive. We're soliciting donations. You can go to riverwestradio.com and uh, provide donations there as well as through their Facebook page, I do believe. And they'll, they'll take PayPal, and no amount is too small, and no amount is too big. <laughs> so... You know, we should we should talk actually a little bit about River West Radio because I know there's going to be people listening to this that aren't actually in the local community and they might want to give as well. So, you know, what we're talking about here is community radio, and it's not quite the same thing as, as you know, uh, national public radio or things like that. This is really centered in this particular community, and it serves a lot of important roles. It gives people a voice. Um, Anybody can can come in and pitch a show, and if you know if they're willing to do the work for it, and there is quite a bit of work in doing a show, then then they can 
have their voice heard and it's uh you know you can broadcast here locally but many of you are probably hearing this through the internet so you know there's a potential for a worldwide audience hello world (laughs) (laughs) um and this is also in support of the river west arts association i believe uh, they were the they were our our, uh, our sponsor because uh, Riverwest Radio needed to when they got the FCC license to go on the radio uh, needed a nonprofit organization that had been around for at least seven years and a uh, big shout out to the Jazz Gal- Gallery and the Riverwest Artists Association. Yeah, thank you. Um, if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be here today. Yeah, I think they're right down the street, right? 400 feet away. Yeah, I walked, I walked past and I was looking in the window on the way here on this frosty uh, night. Uh, so uh, should we just, just jump right in? Yeah. Why is it good to give? Yeah, there's, just, there's a lot of reasons. And, and I think a person could look at it in terms of what's good for them about giving, but they could also look at what's, what's good intrinsically in the act of giving. And, you know, if you think about this, this, this world, um, somebody who's often viewed as very, very abstract, Immanuel Kant talks about this in his, uh, his moral philosophy. He says, imagine a world where everybody followed the rules, nobody screwed each other over, everybody, you know, respected each other's rights, but nobody ever went out of their way to do anything extra. Nobody wanted to extend what he called benevolence. Uh, giving when when you don't have to give. Could you consistently will a world like that? And Kant's answer is no, you can't, because if you were to will that sort of world, you wouldn't want to live there, right? Because mm-hmm. you may need somebody else's help. And, you know, he's he's not much on emotions or feelings or that sort of business. But, uh, you know, we, we can easily extend that. Just imagine what a world would be like where, Everybody was, you know, perfectly fine, respected the law, but nobody ever wanted to donate a little bit, give a little time, give a little extra money, help somebody out who they didn't have some duty to do that with. It would really be kind of a hellish existence after a while, wouldn't it? I would very much agree. It almost seems like the um, the extreme conclusion of a lot of, I guess, libertarian ideology or... Yeah, where where nobody is really responsible for anybody else. Yeah, yeah. We're all autonomous beings that we're moving for our own uh, highest good. Yeah, without regard to anyone else. And and so I mean, there's something in there's something inherent to the act of giving that I mean, there's a lot of ways things can go wrong, and we'll talk about that. Mm-hmm. But there's something inherent to it that that provides it with a sort of, of goodness that, that carries through, you know, and sometimes it, it's readily apparent to you, you know, you, you give a $5 bill to somebody who's, who's homeless on the street and, you know, they can go and get themselves something to eat or, or, you know, a coffee or something like that. And, and it's, it's very apparent. Sometimes it's less direct, but you can, you can know that you're, you're actually doing some, some good in the world. You're increasing the I don't know the balance of positives in in, in some way, and you, and you're doing it by transferring something of your own. You know, like mm-hmm. I said, it could be it could be money, it could be an item, it could be your time, which is the one thing that you can never get back. Right? You can always make more money, but you can't make more time. Yes, you never know when it's going to run out. Yeah, and you know, you it could even just be um, 
not necessarily time itself, but what you do with the time. Like, do you talk to somebody? Do you, do you talk generously with other people? You know, um, smiling when you don't have to smile, mm-hmm. right? I think I think that can play an important role as well in what's good about giving. I would say that you know this is a community radio, and just the idea and the acts of giving are one of the really basic fundamentals of a good working community, that people care enough for each other that they are willing and able to benefit those around them, that builds those strong bonds and uh, creates a more cohesive unit that uh, benefits us all. That's true. And and oftentimes what you give um, ends up, you could say, echoing beyond the situation that in which you're originally giving. You know, people talk about there's that model. I think it became popular in the 1990s of paying it forward, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and that there is something to that. You, if, if you are doing that, you, you never know who the, the third person down the line is going to be mm-hmm. because you're, you're removed from the situation. But that might be you. Yeah. You know, or somebody that you care about. And if you live in a community, I mean, another one of the tropes that's been making the rounds in the last year or so, and I'm not exactly sure where it came from, I think from a movie, uh, maybe it was, maybe it was the, you know, the Batman stuff, uh, people saying we live in a society. Mm. Do you know where that, that trope came from or <sighs> someplace in the deep bowels of the internet? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, th- we, we live in a society and, and the idea there is that we should not just, you know, again, follow the rules, although that's important, but, um, we should treat each other as if the other person matters as if they're not simply reducible to, you know, somebody who's a prop for our our desires. Mm-hmm. Um, we treat them as a, a fellow human being. And and that's that's part of what it takes to make a society turn into a community. You think of um, the Stoics talk about those things that are freely given, like um, if you're sitting and you have a fire in the woods and uh, someone oh, yeah. comes by and they can, um, you can either tell them to go away or, or, you know, they can sit down. It costs you zero to have them sit down across from you in the fire and gain the, the warmth that would have been lost regardless. And uh, that that is something you should always give. Yeah, that's that's interesting that some people would try to... Nowadays, we talk in terms of monetizing, right? Oh, yeah. Everybody wants to monetize Gotta things. to capture that income stream. Yeah. Or, or they transform it into intellectual property, mm. you know? But, you know, for the ancients, uh, one of the things that they used to differentiate certain kinds of goods uh, away apart from things like money or, or honor or prestige was precisely that it, it can be shared without you losing it. So good example of this is, you know, Aristotle has this discussion of um, whether you should be self-centered, mm-hmm. you know, whether you, whether you should be fill autos, which means loving yourself or love, loving the, you know, the, the, the person that you are. And he says, you know, people get criticized for this and rightly so because they're, they have this selfish disposition when it comes to things that we can't actually share. If, if I give you a dollar, I don't have that dollar anymore and you have it. And we can, we can come up with some great economic theories where the dollar circulates and all this sort of stuff. But, you know, in the, at the micro level, you got the dollar, I don't have it anymore. Mm-hmm. Or if I give you a bite of my sandwich, you know, I've got 
one less bite in my sandwich. It was the tasty sandwich. Exactly. Well, or, or <laughs> maybe it's not, but you know, uh, I, I, I don't have as much to, to eat. And oh. if I give you, um, you know, if I give you a certain amount of time or there's like only so much pleasure to go around or something like that. So Aristotle says when it comes to those things, people who take more than their fair share are rightly, rightly blamed, rightly mm-hmm. criticized. But when it comes to certain other goods like knowledge or uh, what they called virtue back then, good moral dispositions like courage or generosity or justice, if, if I'm courageous and I help you to be courageous, it's not like you're taking away from my reserve of courage and, you know, my courage meter is going down as a, as a result. <laughs> as a matter of fact, it can, there can be kind of like a feedback loop where, where we um, work off of each other. Or if, you know, if, if we're talking about, you know, reading Seneca and I share an insight with you, I don't lose that insight by sharing it with you. And so Aristotle says when it comes to those things, we, we ought to be as selfish as possible meaning that we ought to want those things for ourselves because we're not taking them away from anybody as, as a result. And the more that we develop them, the better off we not only make ourselves, but probably other people as well, the other people that are connected with us. I guess I have to thank you for your courage because I don't think I'd have the courage to be here by myself with this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad to have you here. You thank know. you. Uh, and it's, 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 you know, it's nice to share the time with, with somebody because this is a, a, uh, longer segment that I've, I've done a few shows here in the past, but they've always been hour long shows. So a two hour segment is, is quite a, uh, marathon. Well, not, not a marathon. I mean, that would be like if we were doing like a whole day, I think. Uh, Can you imagine doing that? Oh, um, well, it seems like every Sunday for me. Yeah. Well, it'd be like, you know, like being in Congress and doing a filibuster, oh. you know, the, those, those old fashioned ones or somebody <laughs> just talk for hours straight. I think there were, there was one that somebody was reading the, the phone book. Yes. Is that right? Yeah. Um, they could like you know pull out some uh, ancient Greek philosophy, and they'd be a lot more like enlightening yeah. than just like John Smith. That would have been interesting. Um, and yeah. and there's some long books that they could have done that with, you oh, know. Yeah. So I mean, think about just Seneca's letters. You know, when you, when you listen to some of these books on, uh, not, they're not actually on CD anymore, like mm-hmm. MP3 files you realize just how long they actually are because they're hours and hours and mm-hmm. hours. You know, they don't, they don't take us necessarily as long to read. Um, we, should, we should probably... Well, what time are we? Should we... Yep. We should probably hit on uh, the reason for this, this whole show to begin with and suggest that people donate, show their generosity... Uh, you know, uh, engage in, in some community building and, and help out River West Radio. And, and where can they do that, Greg? At riverwestradio.com, which is the, the main website. Through that, you can get to the Facebook page, which is uh, another great place to go. And uh, just a bit of a side note, you can like check out all the different shows that they have. It's a huge panoply of a, of a schedule. Um, That's a lot. Yeah, and then and you can get to the the SoundCloud that they you know the all the different shows and listen to them. Uh, you can listen live, of course, to whatever's going on, but you can also mm-hmm. go back through the archives of all the older shows too, which is a lot of fun. Yeah, and this is community radio that serves and supports the community here in River West and all the surrounding neighborhoods. So, how how large is the actual um, broadcast range there? 
Uh, oh, uh, with the 104.1 FM, it's uh, really a, uh, about uh, about five miles away is the farthest. So, um, and if you're out on Lake Michigan, a couple miles, you'll get oh, us wow. nice and oh, clear yeah. there. Sounds um, great. Yeah, it's, it's generally five miles, but it depends on what sort of radio I have. So, uh, digital is better than analog, where you see the 104.1 as opposed to that little orange line somewhere between 103 <laughs> and 105. Mm -hmm. uh, but then, of course, uh, what's really fun for uh, uh, for me, as someone that's loved radio uh, his whole life, well, it was strange to have disappearance of radios in people's houses. And so now, you know, like it or not, smart speakers are saturating the, uh, uh, I think it's something like uh, uh, over 26%, something like that, have a, uh, Alexa or, or a Google Home or whatever in their house. And with all those, you can ask them to play River West Radio. Oh, really? Oh, that's, that's great. Cool. Yes. And so radios are back in the kitchen is fantastic. The one problem is, is there's other stations that now, more stations that have River in the name. Oh. And so it can really drive you nuts when you go... <sighs> Alexa, no, not River Station, <laughs> River West Radio. And so uh, you, you can also say play WXRW, our actual call letters, because we are the only, one and only WXRW out there. Yes. Are there, are there radio stations that share the same call letters? No. No, yep. They're, they're all unique. Okay. And, uh, and, and every so often, one will go away and you can pick it up again. But, oh. Uh, uh, that seems a little cheaty, though, because then you've got their whole history. mm Really? I'm not sure what the, it must be a certain amount of time before you can just uh, scoop them up again. That would All be right. that would be kind this of interesting for, for nostalgia for purposes, you know. Maybe somebody someday would want to pick up one of the uh, stations here in the Milwaukee area that was, you know, really a, a big powerhouse. At WZMF one time. was mm -hmm. one from when I was young, uh, you know, a teenager in the 70s, and it was the cool station. Uh, that played cool music. Oh, yeah. Before uh, MSE came in, uh, WMSE oh. was uh, a game changer for me as a high school student. Really? Uh, because suddenly I'm hearing cool music that the uh, regular radio stations, you know, the commercial radio stations would, would not or could not play uh, because they have to play the hits. And so, like, I learned to like a lot of music, cool music. You know, like I learned, I learned about the Velvet Underground from WMSE. Okay. Shout out to MSC, and also as long as I'm out there, uh, WWM, uh, uh, another great uh, commercial free station. Yeah. WHAD in Delafield was also big for me growing up because they played uh, shows by Joe Frank, and they played uh, word jazz, and uh, and then just all the other programming that slides past you. I listened to them as as well when I was when I was a kid, but I you know for me it was since I'm a big metalhead. It was QFM. Yeah, uh, yeah. and, and you'd have uh, you'd hear all the the different rockers like doing what what is it called when they they come on and they say hello Milwaukee you know blah 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 you know <laughs> listen to QFM uh, like a pitch or something yeah, yeah the little shout out pitch uh, um you know I'm not sure what they're actually called because we don't do those here okay yeah. <laughs> we should start doing that that would be that would be kind of interesting yeah That'd be great I I still remember the one that Klaus Mine of the Scorpions did. And his accent, he had this German accent. It was so thick, you could barely understand him, but he was so enthusiastic about, you know, and he must have done it for a million different radio stations all over the place. He probably didn't all the same day, you know, like one after another. But when when you're young, you don't know all these things. And, and I, you know, it kind of sounded like he thought that, that Milwaukee and QFM was the coolest thing ever. <laughs> so, well... Nostalgia is a form of generosity to yourself, is it not? 
I guess so. Yeah. I, I mean, it can become a trap, though. Oh, absolutely. Right? Yeah. Um, Especially uh, rose colored glasses. True. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But I was just trying to bring us back to generosity in well, the holidays. Yeah. Should, I mean, should we, have we hashed out the why giving is good topic well enough, or should we still linger on that some more? Oh, we can linger anywhere you like. Um, I guess the, do we, the transactional transactional versus altruistic okay enough. yeah you know a lot of people give there's that that old saying in latin do ut des which means give in order to i, I give in order that you give mm-hmm. and uh that's you know that's more or less transactional I, you know when we think about uh, uh you know for example secret santa Mm-hmm. At, in the workplace, you know, if you don't put in your your whatever five dollar, ten dollar, whatever gift, um, well, you don't deserve another gift in return. And and I think a lot of people do give, uh, whether it's their time or affection or money, precisely in order to get something else out of somebody. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's it's not as if that's that's uh, terrible. <clears throat> you know, we we do have to have uh, a whole working world of business. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're you're not going to have uh, a business that that runs very long, uh, just being completely altruistic. No, right. Even charities can't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's there's a tendency, I think, for a lot of people to get caught up in measuring out gifts. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what do you what do you think about that? Um, yeah, there's definitely a, a point where a gift isn't a gift and it's a, mm. uh, an obligation or it's a, um, it's something to buy. In other words, like, uh, for example, um, you know, giving a gift to a university in order to put your name up in lights, yeah, you yeah. know, I got to have a wing named after me or, um, I guess remind me of the, like the, the Sackler family who uh, were pharmaceuticals and they've been spending hundreds of millions of dollars uh, funding the arts in order to try to, you know, a little bit whitewash their name. Yeah. At least it's been. You know, it's, it's interesting teaching at multiple campuses to see with some of the names, uh, you see the same names on different buildings on different college campuses. Mm-hmm. So for example, David Straz, who, who's a, a big benefactor and, uh, I guess he was he was a trustee of uh, Carthage, one of the places I teach. So there's, I, I was teaching in, in the Straz uh, Business Center um, over at Marquette. They've got two different Straz things, right? Mm-hmm. And I think if we if we went around and did some sort of survey, I'm sure we'd find a whole bunch of them or, or the wares and all that. And it's interesting too because in in the ancient world, that sort of largesse was. Um, expected to the degree that Aristotle could actually talk about a virtue of magnificence. So mm-hmm. he talked about <clears throat> on, a, on a like you know you and me kind of scale, mm-hmm. uh, generosity. It's often translated as liberality, but it, it really means uh, it, the, the the term is a translation of the word for being a free person. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where the liberality comes in, liber, you know, meaning free. And the idea is that you give to the right people at the right time, to the right extent, you know, for the right reasons. And the right reason to give is not to like hold something over on somebody or to be a big shot or to, uh, uh, you know, get in with somebody, but to try to do some genuine good. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And, you know, it was, it was sort of a, a mean position or a middle position between being spendthrift, you know, being prodigal, spending way too much, uh, spending indiscriminately, and being stingy <clears throat> or being greedy, mm-hmm. you know, trying to take uh, too much of, of, of you know, the, the, the goods that are there, not, not giving enough people their stuff. So that's on like a interpersonal level, and we can all do that. Aristotle thought that rich people have a further obligation to do something for their society. Mm-hmm. And so he gives his suggestions. Um, you could like fund a chorus because, you know, the choruses for the Greek plays, they cost a lot of money. You had to train them. You had to, you know, put them in costumes. And then they had to like, you know, do their, their whole shtick, I guess, probably multiple times. Uh, so, that, you know, that, that cost a good bit of money. Or you'd buy a trireme for the, the city's navy. Or you might build a public works thing. So, mm-hmm. you know, people contributing to universities um, and building something that's useful for it, you know, or, or there's, there's so many other ways in which, which people who have wealth can donate it and achieve something in the process. Um, you know, you walk into the, the, the main library and there's, of course, you know, the names of the big donors there. And that's great because, you know, we have a wonderful beautiful uh marble rich central library yeah yeah and and you know cost money to keep that place up probably to heat it too (laughs) (laughs) gosh this has got a lot of mass to hold that yeah so so you know aristotle thought that you should do that and i think that was kind of a common assumption in ancient Mm -hmm. times that you if you had money you were not supposed to just hoard it or just spend it on your own cronies and and friends and you were supposed to use it for the community to to actually accomplish something that would be lasting and and you weren't supposed to do it to be showy or vulgar or anything like that um that was what he he called being uh i think we translate it as being vain um and then you know you didn't want to be uh, penny pinching and, and ru- as he says, ruin the effect. You know? So, you know, this reminds me a lot of uh, like, you know, you go to the streets of old Milwaukee or you see like the, oh, uh, yeah. the Alan Bradley, um, uh, like men's chorus or whatnot. And, um, all these very civic minded, um, things that, uh, seem to be, uh, more common, um, in the past than they are at the current moment. And it seems like an extension of this ideal that you know, Aristotle was presenting there. Yeah, it's, you know, it's an interesting idea because those are, those are companies, right? So we're talking about corporate sponsorship. Mm-hmm. And I think in a lot of cases, corporate sponsorship is, like you were saying, just, it's, it's something that's just transactional. You know? mm-hmm. They want to use it as an alternative way of advertising. But occasionally you will find corporations that, have a genuine interest in benefiting their community, which is, you know, a rational thing to do. I mean, if they're going to continue to do business here and draw upon labor here and have people buy their products here, they probably need to, you know, they got to live here too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, do you, do you want to have, be safe in your person walking down the streets or do you want to, you know, have a security detail? Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's another important aspect I think to, to giving um, now, you know, on the interpersonal level, of course, where when we talk about authenticity, um, that's then we can talk in, in much more clearer terms than when we're talking about corporate decisions, which I think are always a little bit murky. Mm-hmm. You know, 
split loyalties. Yeah, and there's and there's a lot of moving parts to it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to get so many people to sign off on anything. You know, the bigger the organization gets, or you know, think about academic institutions. Mm. It takes a lot of time to get things done in those. <laughs> so I can tell you from experience, <laughs> we are uh, political creatures, or a political animal. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, another way of translating that is that we're social. But we want to understand the word social not as being like, you know, we're, we're, we're naturally driven to hang out with each other or something like that, but that we, we do live in a, a society with other people and the decisions that we make affect them. So we've, we've gone full circle back to the Internet. Oh, we live yeah, in a suppose. society, man. In <laughs> terms of Internet tropes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, that's a whole other thing too i remember when facebook was first becoming big and this would be like 2008 2009 2010 there was this vast market in you could you could like spend real money to buy people stickers or things like that that then you would send them through facebook and a lot of people did that and of course you know the money went to whoever was running those apps i think mm-hmm. um and, uh, you know, you think about, you know, a lot, of, a lot of stuff that's available to us digitally could go away in a second. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, we, we, th- there's a whole another conversation to have here sometime about the trans, you know, what, what's transformed. We don't own our music anymore. We don't own our software anymore. Uh, things that are in the cloud could disappear suddenly and, and we wouldn't have much recourse. Um, but but a lot of the things that people were, were attaining, whether it's in gaming or in social media, um, they're really easy to to provide because you just have to click a few times, right? But there's no no real extra material cost. Yeah, and you can make copies of things at the drop of a hat. That's true. Yeah, it's, you know, dig- or real money for digital goods that you know are only little magnetic ones and zeros on your hard drive. Yeah. Although, I mean, the, even the real money now is just that <laughs> in a large, yes. large respect, right? <laughs> yes. The money that we have in our bank accounts. Um, I mean, if you think about it, it might, it might actually make people uh, anxious enough to think, well, I better, I better spend this stuff before it like goes, you know, goes away. But, but that, that'd be a terrible, imprudent idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've been off the gold standard for what, 50 more years. So it's, it's always been in the, you know, the, truth or the trust of our uh, federal government so yeah well and and there's a you know wider world system that relies on that and you know i mean that's so we can circle around too um that goes back to giving as well trust is something that we give yes um we we can't you know, if we if we tried to verify every single thing and didn't ever give credence unless we had something like laid out for us in absolutely incon- incontrovertible terms, we couldn't even get out of bed, let alone get out in society, you know, show up on the radio or any anything like that. We have to trust so many people and things over and over again. William James actually had this great expression. He called it faith in other people's faith. It's not even faith in 
um, in, in, you know, other people like having hit the bedrock of things, mm -hmm. they're working with faith too. You know, we're all kind of floating on top <laughs> of this, this thing. And every once in a while we, we anchor something into the bedrock. Um, it reminds me of, um, Yuval Noah Harari, who's a story oh, yeah. out of, uh, Israel. And he, um, has this, uh, idea is kind of a similar, at least tangential idea of intersubjective reality, that there's objective reality, which is what we can tangibly test, and our subjective reality is our, our subjective experience of the world, and our intersubjective reality is the reality that operates at just as strongly as objective reality, but is only real because we all agree upon it. So money is an intersubjective reality yeah. because we all agree upon it. Or yeah. Uh, corporations are an intersubjective reality. Where Where is the body of Apple? True, yeah. You know, Paul Ricoeur, who is a, a French philosopher of the 20th century, he talks, and I don't remember which book it's in, he talks about objectivity, um, subjectivity, and then what he called good subjectivity, which is something like this intersubjective thing, right? Mm -hmm. And he said there's some things that are going to be you know, people want objectivity as like, well, everything's going to be the same for everybody else. But the things that matter most, generally, you can't get them that way, you know? No. Um, and so there's there's something that he he was talking about as, as good subjectivity is something that we, we absolutely need to pay attention to. And if we try to reduce it to the objective, I think we can think about gift giving, right? Mm -hmm. And the experience of giving a gift and the experience of receiving a gift, Um you can't part part of the nature of, of gifts, and there were these these interesting sociologists who who were really focused on this, like in the nineteen twenties and thirties, mostly French guys. Um, if you can quantify it, it's not really a gift anymore because it enters into this matrix of things that can be calculated and then, you know, can be. Uh, parceled out the right way. There's always some sort of surplus, something that's an overflow when, when there's a real gift exchange going on. We should, we should mention once again why we're uh, in this long, convoluted conversation about gifts. Uh, so Reason for the season. Exactly. We're, we're here uh, supporting River West Radio. We'd, we'd like to suggest to you that you should donate. And you can do that by going to the riverwestradio.com page or to their Facebook page as well. Um, you can donate through PayPal. You can, uh, I suppose you could probably pop in and throw a dollar in the donation box as well. Oh, yes. Right? Feel free to uh, bring in a wheelbarrow <laughs> full of loose nickels, pour them onto the floor, and uh, and wheel your way out, and I'll say ah, thank you. But we'll specifically, only between 1953 and 1964. Yeah, I mean, well, and obviously sort them chronologically. Oh, yes. <laughs> before you spill them out on the floor. Are, are quarters okay, too? Or? Oh, yeah. I know. Yeah, but the, that, that seems greedy. <laughs> Oh, and also, uh, the odds are, listener, that the way you will donate to Riverwest Radio is by going to our Facebook page. That's statistically what it's been so far, so I go ahead and encourage you now. <laughs> you know, we, we could issue a challenge and say Ooh. people should, you know, break that whatever statistical uh, Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's curve that bell jar another way. Yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's see if people can donate by going to the, you know, riverwestradio.com and clicking on Donate. Yeah. $3. Just do $3, and uh, we'll thank you by first name on the air. Oh, nice. <laughs> oh, yeah? Do, you, do we have any uh, names to read? 
Um, well, actually, we, they're recorded and they come in between shows. Oh, and nice lovely. little segments with a little production value to it. So I'm not just going, well, yeah, let's see, know. there was AJ, <laughs> Sandy, uh, Bob. <laughs> oh, I know Bob. You know, I mean, when I was younger, I used to like, I didn't like the fact that people would get into lists like that. Or, you know, like be, like I mentioned, you walk into the, the library and you see like, you know, who the, the big donors are, people buy bricks or something like that. And as I've gotten older and I've come to realize just how important donations are for making things work, I, I've like almost com flipped completely over. Hmm. I, I like listening to those lists, even though I don't have any idea who these people are, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, you know or, or reading the, the lists. It's, it's kind of, it's kind of cool to, to think about. Yeah. When you go to like a gala or something or they, they've got the, the people in the program. As a matter of fact, they, they, they do this for all sorts of things where uh, it could be people, could be companies. Um, it's always nice to see people helping out. And, and I'll mention another thing, too. There's there's so many other, um, you know, within our society, there's so many things that are underfunded that um, individual and group donations are often how important aspects of our, our social existence, how those things get done, how they continue on. I mean, that, that is definitely the case for community radio. Um, I imagine not just for Riverwest Radio, but every community radio station is dependent on their community, right? Yes, absolutely. Listeners and, uh, and underwriting sponsors. So it's a, it's a absolutely central part of this model, but you know there's 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 so many uh, things within our society. This 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 is part of our way of doing things here in the Americas, and it's interesting. Um, there was this philosopher Alexis de Tocqueville back in the 1840s, I think he was writing Democracy in America, and he talked about how Americans were different than the Europeans in this respect. Um, both had democracies. He was thinking mainly of France, but a few other places. And he said that in, in America, when people want to get something accomplished, they form a combination. They form an association. And, you know, so like a community radio station is a perfect example. You want, you know, uh, voices that are not just those of the commercial radio stations. You want people in the community to have a, have a possibility of having their own shows. Well, you get a bunch of people together and then you have to have some organization and people develop through that. The Tocqueville thought this was a really important aspect of, of American life at the time that, you know, we were these uh, uh, individualists, right? But we were individualists within groups, within associations, and we would learn things by being the secretary, by being the treasurer, by uh, underwriting a show, by... Um, being a producer, and, and and that's how you you learn the things that allow you to to move up to higher levels of responsibility and competence. And he looked at Europe, and he said, in Europe, whenever there's a problem, people immediately say, "Well, the government should do something about it," and so let's you know let's lobby them and get them to fix it. And, you know, regulate and laws and stuff like that. And, I, and by the way, I'm not knocking that. I want the FDA to be like fully funded so that we can know that, you know, the meat that we're eating is is uh, wholesome and, uh, you know, that that the uh, uh, drugs that we're taking are actually going to do something. So I'm not knocking that in any way. But there is something to this going outside of of 
governmental structures and organizing and, and getting things done. And that always takes somebody to provide resources. You know, there's just no way around that. So another so, long-winded way of saying you should donate to River West Radio. Yes. And also, I'd like to just uh, remind people who, what they're listening to, because we have Greg, uh, Greg Sadler and Dan Hayes, and, uh, and the name of the show is Why It's Good to Give Philosophical Perspectives. And uh, um, I kind of wanted to give a little bit of background of, oh, sure. of each of you, of, you know, like, the thing that, what is the, uh, I, I know... Uh, I know, Greg, that you you were talking about stoicism last time you were on. Yeah, and uh, and now I start to think, oh right, stoicism is it something that he talks about or something that he applies to his life? Um, so, what is it that? How do you how do you view stoicism? Is it well? Both Dan and I are are co-organizers of the Milwaukee Stoic Fellowship. And, and so Stoicism is a practical philosophy. And, and it, it, another way of describing it is it's a philosophy is a way of life. So there are a lot of abstract principles and, and ideas to it. And you can teach it in an academic setting. But in some respects, you can't, you, I, I think you can't fully understand what's in the Stoic texts unless you're actually applying it and usually, you know, at first failing to, to do well with it, but it, it, it's like anything else. There's, there's a lot of uh, practical aspects and applications to it. And, you know, getting together with other people and talking about it, that's, that's something that's really cool because you compare notes and, and say, well, this worked for me and this didn't work for me. But it bears on our emotions. You know, it, a lot of people think of stoicism as meaning, well, you turn your emotions off. And it, that's almost the exact opposite of what the Stoics taught. We want to understand and be able to manage our emotions and integrate them with, with our, the other aspects of our, our being, namely rationality, so that if we're feeling um, something, we're feeling it in the right way at the right time. And um, some things might not be good for us to feel at all. The Stoics thought that anger was, was problematic in that respect. But, um, you know, feeling joy in rational ways, feeling affection, feeling love, um, feeling the right kinds of desires, being averse in the right ways to things. All of those are things that Stoic philosophy helps us, helps us to do Pro progressively. It's, you know, it's like uh, learning how to play an instrument in a way. You don't, you don't you know, walk in and <laughs> start, you know, you don't grab the guitar and immediately start playing uh, some, some great song. You've got to learn some scales first. Well, just to, since last talking to you on the air about uh, stoicism, oh yeah, um, yeah. Uh, you know, I've just I've read a little bit more about it, and the 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 one thing that is easy to grasp onto, or the the one of the things that was uh, is fun for for uh, dissecting, for labeling, for figuring out the words to describe the things that we all take for granted, yeah. the way we feel about things, and the way we react and. Um, and our general disposition about rea what reality is. But let me stop myself, because just that, really that first thing of like, oh, let me think objectively about this somewhat arbitrary yeah. reality that I believe in as truth. Yeah. Philosophy offers us ways to carry out analysis. Um, and, and analysis letting us you know, figure out what we're actually talking about, categorizing things. <clears throat> sometimes figuring out if we've miscategorized things. So 
for example, last week I was driving um, down Holton and um, someone pulled up to the side of me and um, uh, blew past me at a light um, in order to then uh, slow down to like about 10 miles an hour in front of me. And he was um, apparently angry or something at me, but um, that doesn't have any effect on how I should be reacting to the situation that there's no reason that I need to be angry or upset about his actions. Cause I have zero control over his actions. Got to the next corner. I turned left, <laughs> you know, now he's no longer directly in my way. And I also uh, was able to maintain my, you know, emotional composure there. Yeah. That that's, that's been a tough one for me in life because I'm anger prone and uh, also competitive you know, what the, what the ancient Greeks would call thumotic. There's this, you know, notion of thumos as this drive, this, this aggressive part of ourself that would uh, get riled up. And, man, I used to have a lot of trouble with that driving. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I had a, a lot of practice in the San Francisco Bay Area. I had a, oh, a, a two-hour one-way commute on every day so four hours driving in san francisco traffic and it humbled me i also was listening to your um uh musings on uh the enchiridion by epictetus <laughs> that also was very the, helpful drive yeah yeah i i uh ripped all the audio from your youtube videos and put it into an audiobook that's funny <laughs> but, you know i i find when i listen to um, and I usually do it with LibriVox on, on my phone. Mm -hmm. So, you know, free, uh, uh, audio files. Um, when I'm listening to something, I'm, I'm less prone to get, you know, let's just call it more assertive in my driving and less worried about getting there on time, uh, than, than when I'm say listening to the radio or, um, not listening to anything. Mm -hmm. So, well, there's been some interesting studies, especially with, um, actually VR recently about um, giving um, people like uh, VR experiences while they're going through something at least mildly to greatly painful. Um, and uh, they found that there's only a so much attention that one can give at any individual yeah. point. So if you're distracted by say this audiobook, then maybe you're not so focused on um, having to, I don't know, win at driving. Yeah, so with, with with the experiments that you're talking about, do you mean like people are in say physical pain? Yeah. Or okay. So I believe like um they were giving uh children uh shots as one thing. Oh. Um, yeah, yeah. and they would distract them by giving them a highly stimulating visual and audio experience while it happened. And there might even be things where it's uh they've synced up the uh moment of impact to something um extra stimulating on yeah, the yeah. thing in order to um to diffuse the experience even more you know i i mean this is not remotely like that but it but it's in sort of the same modality i remember when i was in graduate school going through a really really bad breakup uh somebody who i i cared deeply about and then you know things went went south and of course i was kind of blue and stuff like that and there's a tendency to ruminate Mm -hmm. and, and this can happen um, when you lose a job. This can happen when you get bad health news. This can happen when somebody dies. And I was studying this, this philosopher, Mark Shaler, at the time. 
uh, German phenomenologist from the, the 20th century. Kind of a crazy guy, Real, really manic. You know, I, I think they, 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 they probably would have diagnosed him as that now. <laughs> and <clears throat> he, um, you know, he had a really complex way of looking at things. And I remember I was riding my bike and I was thinking about my, so I was engaging in some metacognition. I'm thinking about my own feelings about this, this breakup. And then I started thinking, I started, I started using Shaler to sort of analyze it. Mm -hmm. And I didn't, I didn't successfully apply his philosophy to like make sense out of everything. But the fact that I was distracting myself with thinking about that, I actually felt my mood lift. And then I was like, oh, wow. So this, I wasn't quite sure what to call it at the time, but I realized that by sort of splitting my attention, as you're saying, I was taking myself out of that situation where I was, I was only focusing on those negative emotions, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I think you can do that with a lot of, a lot of other things as well. So sometimes like if we go back to stoicism, stoicism might not always work by providing the perfect uh, analysis of the situation, but the, the, the sheer act of actually trying to think out what the hell's going on with you, you know, and, and trying to apply somebody's ideas to it mm -hmm. and, and, you know, them not be crazy ideas. Mm -hmm. um, there's something that will, will already give, give some sort of um, mood boost or alleviation of suffering or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. I'm, you know, as long as you're not like going into like the musings of a madman to try to well, dissuade that, your own momentarily insanity. Yeah. I mean, it, and that's where like the blaming thing probably isn't helpful. You know, there, there's a lot of ideologies out there where it's, it's somebody else's fault or mm -hmm. some, some system's fault or something like that. And if you're dealing with, with suffering in some way, right? So you're feeling sad, you're feeling angry, you're feeling anxious, uh, you have these negative emotions and they're caused by, by real things in your life. Like say, let's say you, you lost a job and, and it was unfair and uh, it's going to be hard to find a job. You're going to feel like crap, you know, in many respects. Um, if you latch on to something that allows you to, to, to you know, read it all in terms of how s some, some group out there is persecuting you, mm -hmm. that's going to put you into kind of a, a, a negative loop. And that can, you know, reinforce itself and get, get very, very rigid after a while. But a good philosophy of life would take you away from that and say, first of all, quit looking for somebody to blame. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, there may not be anybody to blame to begin with. It might just be like processes that are beyond everybody's control and nobody knows what the hell's going on. <laughs> you know? uh, or it might be that somebody really did have it in for you, but your, your interpretation of it uh, if you reframe it in certain ways and it's, it's not to say, well, you know, just whatever bad happens to you, just, just suck it up, you know, <laughs> as they say, embrace the suck. That's not saying that, but there's, there's ways to, to keep it from being so harmful to you. And then therefore not being so harmful, just not just to you, but to everybody else that you're connected with. Yeah. Do you need to suffer once or multiple times? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. So mm. should we take another, uh, yeah. Not not station identification, but uh, 
We should talk about the, the reason why we're, we're, we're a little bit off topic at this point. We were talking about uh, giving generosity and gratitude, uh, why it's good to give. And we're doing that because this is part of a fundraising drive for River West Radio. And uh, you can go to riverwestradio.com to uh, give a donation to the station. This is a year-end donation drive. Um, you can also go to facebook.com um, for River West Radio. You can find a link to that at riverwestradio.com. And there are uh, links to donate at both pages, as well as a uh, plethora of resources about uh, the upcoming shows, the schedules for what is here at River West Radio, as well as a uh, library of past episodes on their SoundCloud. Wow, you are good. That was... <laughs> I'm going to have to isolate that and put that in between programs. Oh, nice. That was solid. <laughs> um, one of the things you talked about is the uh, the uh, loop of despair oh, or yeah. something like that. And, and uh, it made me think of a couple of things where there's that going over things that you no longer have any control over. And Rumination. So you, there we go. That's the word for it. And um, and there's times when you know, like you're doing the dishes, or you're waiting for toast, or you're uh, you know you're you're making just sitting there in the kitchen having coffee and have that happening happening. One of the things is right, you know, realize that you're just ruminating. This does no good. And one of the ways that you can help do that is by listening to River West Radio. <laughs> Taking your mind off of it. Honestly, right? I, I don't know how yeah, people yeah. survive in their kitchen without a radio. I don't understand <laughs> that silence. As you're washing yet another glass, <laughs> <laughs> you know. It's, it, you know, it's interesting. I was talking. Silence. I was talking with um, somebody today about something that we're probably going to bring up in the the Milwaukee Stoic Fellowship, um, and the the Stoics that we read, and we've only got sort of a small selection of texts because we've lost a lot of their stuff. They're mostly talking about things that are affecting us in the present or in in the future. And not so much about our, our past, but the, the, the person that I was talking with, we were talking about how when you're, you're engaged in routine activities, like say washing the dishes, or like it would often happen to me when I was doing a lot of uh, gardening work, um, where your body knows exactly what it's doing and your mind can wander, you can start to have things kind of bubble to the surface and you, you remember how people wronged you or... Um, past embarrassments or, or slights or, or things like that. Or it might even be like actual trauma that, that, that comes to the, to the fore. You know, you, you, were, you were abused by somebody. And um, being, you know, being able to deal with that sort of stuff, to, to, as the, psych, you know, the psychologists call it, working it through, um, that's, I think, something that's important to philosophy as a way of life because it's understood as a sort of therapy for the, the human soul, uh, the psyche. And um, I think it's a really common experience that when you're on your own doing something that your body has done so many times and it's, it's, it's long and repetitive, um, yeah, I mean, you might just go like into, a, as we say, being in the zone, right? But it is very common also for all sorts of memories to arise that then can be quite troubling to people, you know. <clears throat> and there's, there is, of course, some merit to some worrying about some things. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, 
this was another thing that it just affected me a couple of years ago when I heard this, and I don't know who to credit this thought that um, the our brains are not here to keep us happy. They're here to keep us alive. Yeah. And reproducing. And reproducing, which... Uh, Although, you know, that's not to say that they can't be repurposed, right? Mm. Yeah. Um, and it, it may be that, that you know, you know that, that term mission creep? Uh, no. So it, it came out of the military originally, and it's used in corporate settings now. And it means like you have, you have a... Um, uh, tool or a technology or an organization or whatever and it has like one function and then people start to realize that well you could do something else with this and then they start to make it do other things you know like software is continually in a state of mission creep you could say um you call it feature creep feature creep okay yeah yeah and so um maybe our brains are like that you know originally they you're right they, they were to keep us alive on the savannah uh, and I don't know, maybe in the trees or something like that, but we've been able to do so many other things with them. Why, why can't we use them to, to make ourselves happy? It requires, you know, figuring out how these, these complicated, uh, wetware computers work, of course, <laughs> but are we going to jack in now? Well, I mean, we're so far away from all these cyberpunk uh, scenarios, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I mean, that's that's kind of, I mean, again, a little bit off, off topic, topic, but but that that's perfectly fine. If you think about like science fiction and all the things that it envisioned for us, and and where we are right now, like we're in the year that Blade Runner was supposed to be set in. There's mm-hmm. no flying cars. I mean, there's also we're not living here in a a situation of like perpetual night or anything like that but then again we're not you know in other parts of the world like india where uh one of the cities i don't remember exactly which one but they told people stay inside and just don't come out until we tell you you know because the the pollution is is so bad right now and uh china is you know really terrible for for that sort of thing but you know we we don't have we don't have replicants, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> as far as we know. Um, we still have Daryl Han- Hannah. That's true. Yeah, yeah, and and she's you know still pretty well preserved, um, <laughs> still acting too. Mm-hmm. You know, um, unfortunately, we don't have Rutger Hauer. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's gone. Uh, Harrison Ford, mm, he's pretty leathery now. Mm. Uh, Good I, but, for him. But he but he was in the later the. the, the the, the later Blade Runner there was 2049, right? And we'll, yeah. we'll get to 2049, and then we'll we'll be like, hey, do you you know we'll we'll be very old by then, and we'll be like, do you, do you remember when this movie came out? And we're like, you know, this is what the future is going to be like. You know? <laughs> Look, we don't have any of this stuff yet. You know? James, or sorry, uh, yeah, Edward almost is still floating around. Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't it be a trip if he was still around in 2049? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, let me take this uh, inhalation of air to say that you're listening to Riverwest Radio, WXRWLP 104.1 FM, Milwaukee. And this is the uh, a special uh, first episode. And you know what? Why don't, we, why don't we wrap this up for the hour, and then we'll just, um, so that I can play it in two different parts. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll come, uh, we'll come back. Uh, so, uh, again, this, uh, uh, this has been why it's good to give philosophical perspectives with Greg Sadler and Dan Hayes, and the overall uh, the overall this first hour was about 
Oh, we ranged over a ton of topics, but it, it's about you know applying practical philosophy to understanding why it, why it is good to give for the person who gives and for the those who receive, and why the act of giving itself is not only good but necessary for for any functioning community. And we talked quite a bit about why community radio. So All right, riverwestradio.com. Thank you very much for your support. And uh, uh, please, riverwestradio.com, you can click over to Facebook. You can show us some love. You can do whatever, whatever the heck you want at social media. And you are listening to Riverwest Radio, WXRWLP 104.1 FM, Milwaukee. Well, it's the end of the year fun drive for Riverwest Radio, and so we are doing some special programming, including the one you're listening to now, which is why it's good to give philosophical perspectives. Let me slow that down a little bit, because ultimately, uh, it's, you're going to want to go to riverwestradio.com and click on some stuff, and uh, there I've done my I've done my hawking for the fun drive, and we can get into uh, why it's good to give philosophical perspectives, and we're here um, with Gregory Sadler. I've been calling you Greg. Um, should I, what is your... E Either is fine. All right, so <laughs> uh, Greg Sadler and Dan Hayes. Um, thank you both being here and putting a interesting perspective on the whole human experience of what it means to give. Um, so uh, I know you've got uh, quite a lot to get to in this hour. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll see what we can, what we can so, spin around, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so we ended the last hour talking a little bit like about uh, Blade Runner, and I'm going to bring this full circle because a, a major point of the um, movie was the Voight Comp test, which was a um, an empathy test for yeah. the replicants. And um, if you go all the way back to um, the actual novella by Philip K. Dick, um, the the androids dream of electric sheep. Yes, the um, humanity had poisoned the earth and had killed all animals and they had created a uh, religion called Mercerism all about um, being kind and the, the main way that you would present your kindness was to take care of an animal and because only the very richest were able to have actual like cloned animals um, most people had and took care of electronic animals like the titular electronic sheep yeah um and and this is preserved going forward into the the movie as um the way that we the replicants interact with animals and and show this compassion um and this empathy um whereas the humans would a act in a very empathetical manner or would react to certain stimuli in an empathetical manner, the replicants would not. Yeah, and in the book, it's it's actually a spider. Remember? The, uh, um, the character who becomes uh, sort of the tinkerer, he's got a spider that he's um, trying to save, and two replicants have shown up, the Pris one 
and uh, Roy. Roy, yeah, and they they pull the legs off, and and something that seems you know such a small action to us, but there's there's so few actual animals that, that even a spider is precious, and it just it can't get into their heads why why this is something bad to do, mm-hmm. you know, um, they they see it as just exercising power over another thing, and um, what was his name the 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 guy who's uh, oh, the the tinker yeah uh, it. it it wasn't Decker because Decker is the, yeah. the actual um, uh, Blade Runner, uh, but in any case, that's 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 part of what was was going on. And so, if we're talking about empathy, giving is often, a, a, you know, it's it's a reflection of empathy, but it can also produce empathy. And in some ways, you know, a lot of the conflict that we have and a lot of the divisions that we have is a result of people. Not being able to, <clears throat> not being able to um, relate to other people, to see them as um, not out to get them, or to see them as um, not on the make, to see them as, as actual you know human beings like them. That's part of what it is to be empathetic, to be able not not to feel the same thing that, that another person's feeling. That's that's more like our notion of sympathy, but to be able to register what it is that they're they're feeling and to think that it it matters in some way i mean this is this is basically what daniel goleman's book emotional intelligence is all about mm-hmm. right it's uh the the thing that we call emotional intelligence which by the way if, if you want to like get ahead in life uh it's much your your eq emotional quotient it turns out to be more important than your iq um for you know understandable reasons because getting along with people is quite important and leadership requires some some degree of of uh, emotional intelligence. So emotional intelligence is is like being able to understand your own emotional responses and to manage them. But it's also to be able to register why other people feel the way that they do. And I'm always surprised that people are, are often at a loss. You know, they'll they'll. Uh, do something and they're like, I can't believe that everybody's so angry at me. <laughs> you know? and you're like, well, of course they are. You look at what you did. You know, um, how did you not think that 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 would produce that reaction? You know, or, or oh, I don't know why people are afraid of me. Well, I mean, you go around and yell at them all the time. That that's going to induce that sort of behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, or why does everybody like so and so and they don't like me? Well, because he actually like listens to what they have to say. <laughs> you know. Um, and so, you know, uh, emotional intelligence is, is really important and empathy is really, really central to that. And, you know, if, again, if we're talking about giving, it's almost like a meta giving, right? A lot of the giving that we do, especially this time of the year and we're talking about the holidays is giving presents or, mm-hmm. you know, volunteering time or stuff like that. But creating the space for people to be able to develop or giving them, a tool that they they need, or sometimes even just listening to them um, and giving them space. You could say within your your own your own space. Um, that is is an important gift, and it's one that a lot of people are deprived of. Um, maybe this maybe this time of the year is a really great time to do things like that too to uh, get in conversations with people and actually let them talk and see what they have to say, you know, validate them in that way. Yeah. And it's, it's, 
very beneficial that we do have a, a set upon time of the year just to remind us that these are things of virtue, that we can improve our communities and our relationships by being generous and uh, looking for uh, not just the bottom dollar. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's interesting. I was thinking about this the other day. So um, there's a, a, a secular Christmas season, right? And it begins nowadays around oh Halloween. Right? <laughs> as, soon as, as soon as the Halloween candy's off the shelf and the Halloween lights are gone, the Christmas lights go up and, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, tinsel and everything starts getting sold and, and they start telling you there's so many days till, till Christmas. And, and, and it's, you know, it, it's um, practiced... Uh, uh, throughout the, the United States and is practiced in some other places as well. I guess it's big in Japan. Um, and uh, there, but you, you look at some of these old Christmas movies and there's this stress on not so much like Christmas miracles, but like people discovering um, feeling states, affective states within themselves. Like they have, they, they lost hope. Think about, um, Oh, what's the one? Uh, a wonderful is it? A wonderful life? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, he was despairing. Now he's hoping, right? Mm -hmm. So something has happened within him, and and the world. Or a has, Christmas Carol. Yeah. Oh, that's another. Yeah, even better. Right. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a much better one. Yeah. And and, and so, it's not as if the world itself has changed, but the person's outlook on the world has fundamentally shifted. Mm -hmm. um, part of that is. In terms of feelings, what we call affective, uh, part of it is cognitive. It, it's how they're thinking about things. And a lot of it, in both of those cases, but even more so reflected in A Christmas Carol, is what we would call volitional, what people decide to do. So Scrooge, um, you know, he doesn't just say, oh, I learned my lesson. Now I love everybody. This is really great. You know, I'm not going to die. He says, Cratchit, I'm giving you a raise. Let's get the tiny Tim, you know, to the hospital and figure out what's wrong with him. Um, I'm going to, you know, buy a goose for this family. And he starts, he becomes uh, a great benefactor. And, you know, as, as a matter of fact, actually, that, that's, that's like the ending, right? He becomes, uh, from going, being a miser, which I guess is good because he's able to hoard up all this, this, these resources. He becomes uh, somebody who dispenses his wealth for the for the benefit of the people around him in, in his community, and he's he's very much living his uh, theory in that regard. He's he's practicing what he's uh, come to realize is the better way to do it. Yeah, yeah. Because you know, if you if you, I mean, there's there's something to to having a thought that mm -hmm. that that's not totally Nothing. valuable or valueless. Yeah, um, but if you don't put it into practice, eventually the thought is you know, kind of a, uh, a substitute, you know, this, this is, again, we were talking about social media earlier. It's really easy to like, like somebody's post on Facebook mm -hmm. and put a comment, you know, uh, it's a whole nother thing to like actually pick up the phone and talk to them or, or arrange actually to go out. Yeah. yeah. Physically move through the world. Yeah. So we should talk some about about the holiday times. We, yes. have, we have a whole bunch of interesting uh, points to, to bring up that people are often kind of perplexed about. That I think practical philosophy could be helpful with that. So uh, what is it fair to give? 
Yeah. And, and I think some people would like to give too much. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, and people might give for various reasons. They might feel like they're, they're obliged. Um, and you know, that, that can sometimes make it, uh, painful even mm-hmm. to give. Right. Um, some people, unless they actually feel like, you know, they absolutely have an obligation to give, they're not going to give to anybody. I think we want something that's kind of in the middle mm-hmm. of that. You don't want to be that pleasure pump. Yeah. Well, explain what that means. For so um, I believe it's from utilitarianism, right? That if like you're trying to produce the most good. And um, so basically the idea is that you're just constantly giving. I guess this is kind of like the... Um, if you take Peter Singer and he talks about like, uh, if you would give up, you know, uh, throwing away your $300 suit in order to save a child in a pond that you're never going to be able to drown in yourself, then why won't you get $300 up to oh, someone yeah, yeah. across the world to, uh, save them? You know, if $300 is what it takes to save a life and you would give up that now, then you should be able to do that anywhere. And, yeah. and then it goes to the point, well, okay, then when do you stop when when is enough if you could if we can make three hundred dollars in a short amount of time in this country and that will save a life in another country then why aren't we giving everything all the time yeah and and i think one response to that could be that um, we need to have a certain at least minimal level of whatever we want to call it, happiness in our life, pleasure for utilitarians, um, in order to be continually functioning, right? So, and, and I also think we, we don't want to, <clears throat> we don't want to simply reduce ourselves to a means of benefit for other people, mm-hmm. you know, because we matter too. The, the, what the utilitarians are right about is that we don't matter individually more than other people do. So the poor, starving child in Sudan isn't less valuable than, than we are, mm-hmm. you know, or the uh, uh, kid in Mongolia or where, wherever we want it to be, you mm-hmm. know, uh, the old man in Australia. Um, they, all, they all count for the same amount. But we do have to be able to maintain ourselves. Even Kant, Immanuel Kant, who was, you know, very down on pleasure. <laughs> and as a matter of fact, said that um, we're not, you know, we, we can be happy to some degree, although he, he, was, he thought happiness is a very dubious concept because he said it's, it's so indeterminate what, you know, what it would actually be because it's the satisfaction of all our desires and inclinations and who knows what the hell they, they really desire anyway. <laughs> um, that changes from time to time. But he, but he did say we don't have a duty per se to provide ourselves with, with happiness. But we should make ourselves happy enough that we don't make other people miserable. So he thought, because every, you know, for Kant, duty, that's all, that's all that really matters ultimately. If being miserable is going to keep us from being able to fulfill our duties, we want to make ourselves happy so that we can not be, you know, so there's no obstacles to us actually doing what we're supposed to do. <laughs> now, he doesn't, he doesn't ever specify how that's supposed to work, how well, happy we're supposed to be. or cause again, Well, no, he, one, no one really enjoys the, the, the friend that's constantly complaining and that's their, their only uh, topic of conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, like if I was to give to everybody and I'm like stressing how, you know, 
penurious my condition is now because I've given so much. Well, then that's going to make them feel bad, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I think here's, here's one thing we could say. Most of us could give more in one respect or another. I mean, you think about <clears throat> spending money on, on a cup of uh, coffee, right? So I, I like lattes. Lattes are expensive, um, that five bucks could probably, if I, you know, trimmed off two lattes a week, that could probably accomplish quite a bit of good somewhere else. Could I mean, do a latte. Yeah. I mean, even, Sorry. even here in the, the, oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, even here in the Milwaukee area, uh, that could accomplish a lot. And that is a good segue, uh, since we're at mm-hmm. the 15 minute mark for talking about, uh, another, another thing that you might donate to, which is River West Radio. So this is River West Radio. Uh, you can find us on riverwestradio.com. And uh, this is the year-end fund drive. Um, we are asking for donations to uh, maintain this uh, gracious uh, public uh, civic-minded organization. Um, and you can either donate at riverwestradio.com or uh, go to the Facebook page in which there is a link at riverwestradio.com. Um, so another thing that has to do with, I mean, not just the holiday season, but I mean, it can apply to gift giving in general. Like think about people's birthdays or, um, at any time that people are, are giving something. So there's the giving end, right? How much you should give and who you should give to, but how should you, what's the proper way to receive gifts? Mm-hmm. Um, there's, I think there's a lot of wrinkles to that, mm-hmm. right? I mean, what do you, what do you think about? Um, so this is something that I've had uh, years of failure at, but. Well, I, you're not the only one. Oh, thank, thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> um, but as we were uh, speaking about this topic um, in preparation for the show, came up with, um, you know, came back to another really stoic principle of, what is in your control? Oh, yeah, yeah. And so the idea that, you know, um, you might want something, but it is not in your control over what that person is going to give you. And so you can either uh, be happy about the, the idea that this person at least thought about you enough that they would go out to try to get you something and to uh, remove from you the the want of something that you have no control over or at least very little control over um, and to appreciate what is able to be appreciated and r- screw that um, which uh, you can't. Yeah, even if it's socks and underwear. Oh, man, I right? love socks now. Give me some nice wool socks. You know, that's Do you just remember like, as a kid? Oh, yeah, yeah. I hated that. Yeah. But, like, you know, <laughs> how times change. That's true, yeah. Yeah, good good socks. I have two pairs on right now because, uh, you know, it's it's winter here in, in Wisconsin, and it's pretty cold, and, and uh, it's nice to have that, that sort of warmth. Oh, yeah. You know, so I, I actually marked a, a uh, passage from... Seneca's on benefits uh, specifically for this, so that I was hoping we'd get a chance to to hit on it. Um, and this this ties in directly with what you were just saying. He says, "What is a benefit? It's a well-intentioned action that confers joy, and in so doing, derives joy. Inclined towards and willingly prepared for doing what it does." 
So that's ni- nice definition. And then he says, here's the key point. It matters not what is done or what is given, but with what attitude, since the benefit consists not in what is done or given, but rather in the intention of the giver or the agent. You can see what a big difference there is between them by reflecting that a benefit is unconditionally good while what is done or given is neither good nor bad. It's the intention that exalts what is petty and brings to light brings light to what is shabby. Intention humbles those things that are grand and generally regarded as valuable. So <clears throat> like you were saying, you know, you can think about so somebody gets you something, you know, this, this happens a lot when, when you're uh, in your childhood and adolescence, you get a lot of uh, gifts uh, from relatives where they're great for the, the you that existed three years ago, mm. you know, <laughs> but you're not into that thing anymore. Oh, Star Wars. And, yeah, exactly. And they, and they remember that sort of thing. Uh, yeah, you know, actually my, my aunt, my great aunt, Tunny, um, she knitted me when I was 10 years old, she knitted me a star Wars blanket. Mm. It had like the scene of with the death star and, uh, like tie fighters and X-wing fighters. You know? <laughs> she was probably in her like sixties or yeah, she was probably in her sixties, late sixties when she knitted this, it was from some pattern, you know, it was uh-huh. in the seventies. Um, and that was, that was the thing back then. And, uh, I, I doubt she had any idea what star Wars was, you know, uh-huh. I don't think she ever went to see movies, uh, like that in, in her life. You know, she wasn't interested in that, but, but, you know, she knew that I at one time had been interested in star Wars. And so she, uh, you know, she gave that to us and I was, you know, when I got it, I was like, oh, wow, this is, this is really something, <laughs> you know? Uh, and I, I, I don't I don't know if I still have it or not, but it was, it was really something to see. Um, obviously, you know, if somebody was going to give me Star Wars paraphernalia right now, probably not going to, you know, I'll probably regift it. <laughs> <laughs> and actually that, that's another good topic yeah. is some people feel that it's wrong to regift things. What, what do you think about that? Uh, I guess it very much depends on the thing and okay. how close you are. So like, uh, I say if if it's your significant other and you are ah <laughs> uh, and, and they gift are, you a ring say for example exactly <laughs> then that that's probably not the best thing to do yeah uh, I guess but my opinion on most other things is that it's it's just a physical object and you um their act is the more important thing than the thing itself yeah I kind of look at it in a lot of ways, it not only can you regift things, you should regift them. If you yourself can't make effective use out of it or you don't enjoy it, why not find somebody who will get get something better out of it? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and just sort of, you know, move it move it sort of th- through the pipeline to that person. Doesn't that make more sense? Oh, absolutely. Hey, I, I regifted a present this very evening. Oh, did you? <laughs> I hope you like the tea infuser, Nina. <laughs> I must interject with the basic principle, though, is that the original gift giver must never know. Yes, yes. <laughs> and ideally, the the receiver of the gift ultimately will not know that it was regifted either. Although, if they're, I mean, if they're cool with it, 
maybe which are, well, now we're going to the world if they're cool with it yeah yeah <laughs> yeah that's a sort of select group i i, I would guess i mean I, I i wouldn't actually have much problem myself but i'm i'm i've become much more practical over the years about these sorts of things i just want you know if somebody doesn't want the the gift that i'm giving i'd love for them to pass it on to somebody else mm-hmm. and i just got so much stuff nowadays that like yeah i that's <sighs> another thing too so it's it's uh because we we live in this time of um material excess yeah yeah i mean great material prosperity and there you know for for many of us uh, you know if we're if we're in our you know we're out of adolescence and we've we've managed to figure out what we want to do with our life we probably have most of the stuff that we want or or the stuff that we we're still striving for is way out of anybody's budget you know <laughs> for realistic gifts so you know it's not the case that you're actually giving something to somebody who literally has everything in the mm-hmm. way that we frame the phrase. But what do you give to somebody who um, doesn't need anything? Love, attention. It, well, they're, they're right. Yeah. So maybe it's less about the physical objects. And I mean, you can you can do the old like, coupon thing here's a coupon for back rubs mm-hmm. you know but um maybe you just you just do those things you know and this comes down to like objects as an expression of love yeah um and so i guess you know there's there are perishable things i guess like food or candy or maybe even cards to a certain extent um but then there are physical objects that are you know a can be, I guess, imbued with some sort of significance. Significance, yeah. Um, and then they, at some point, they can actually become a burden to a certain extent, especially if they really pile up. Yeah, if you're, if like, let's again, let's say somebody's into figurines. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, I'm very so, humble over here. So, so long as they're into figurines, right? Um, and you keep giving them them, then maybe you're you're helping them out in some way. But if they cease being interested in that, and now now you've got a, th- a lot of knickknacks that collect dust mm-hmm. and take up space and and you know need to be transported from place to place when you move, um, you know, and I I think some people would probably get quite offended if they saw you selling off the collection that you know had been accumulated over the years. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this this notion that well, I gave you those things, you're 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 supposed to hold on to them, but. I don't know. Maybe yeah. we should uh, institute a uh, right of first refusal. Oh, that's an interesting idea. Ex- explain. So, I don't think all the listeners will know what that means, so explain what that means. So um, the right of first refusal is an idea that um, if you buy something from someone else, party A buys from party B, then if party A decides to sell that item, party B has the... Um, the first chance to buy it yeah and he he has he can be the first to refuse and okay so, so if something is of you know great worth and they both value it then that the first party or the b party the seller party should be the one that can buy it about first yeah you know that would make a lot of sense for things that have been like handed down within a family mm-hmm. you know that's a, that's a good idea I, I wonder how, you know, I think in some families it might be hard to get people to buy into that. But. Yeah. 
And I hear there's a problem at the moment considering um, family heirlooms and just the difference between what is, uh, I guess, the standard of living between generations and like oh. the, the younger generation uh, due to uh, not having, being as right, financially right. well off as the latter um, are not having large homes. They can't take those big dining sets and those giant cabinets of uh, flatware um, and they're they're just going either to resale shops or the junkyards and these things that were supposed to be family heirlooms are being set to the wayside just because uh, either people don't want to accumulate those things, they don't value those physical things as much as they used to in the past generation, or they just don't have the ability to. Yeah, you know, that's that's a good object to apply some philosophical analysis to, actually, because... If you think about what what's the point of passing down family heirlooms? It's not just to, to pass down certain a set of objects because mm-hmm. those are that's completely arbitrary, right? The fact that this china, uh, so if, you know, for example, my mom had some really great china that I think at one time was quite fashionable. It had you know it was china with like gold around the edges. I'm sure it was, yeah, it was like. 14 karat gold or something. It couldn't mm-hmm. have been anything super expensive, but it looked nice. You know, mm-hmm. she'd bring it out every Christmas and all that. And, you know, she died in 2000. And I think my sister got got all that stuff. <clears throat> and, you know, subsequently it's, it's, it's all sort of gone, you know, mm-hmm. one way or another with all the moves that we've had. Um, but, you know, I could say, well, I, you know, I would have liked to have ha- had that so I could pass it down to my kids. And you got to say, well, what are you actually passing down? It's not those objects. Is it the is it the, the stories that you're surrounding the objects with, and the feelings that you have that maybe you're not actually successful in passing on to the next generation? If you're mm-hmm. not telling those stories, why this china matters or why this piece of furniture uh, should should you know go from place to place? It, it is just objects, and you're mm-hmm. you're almost like imposing a burden on the next generation by saying you you have to carry around this stuff wherever you happen to go. You know, <laughs> uh, I mean, if you want to like say I'll I'll um you know until you actually have a house I'll pay for the storage unit where you keep this stuff. Well, that would be a little bit different, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, but if you're if you're just like saying, well, this is an heirloom and it has to stay in the family, I I don't know, and, and in a lot of cases. Maybe young people need to be able to determine their own, their own, um, what do we call it? Their own environment of objects, mm. you know? I mean, mm-hmm. if, if they, if they want the comfort of, I mean, for, for me, my mom died, uh, when I was, uh, almost 30, my dad died when I was 11. It was important for me to hold on to things from, from both of them. I was also really into the value of family, um, but, you know, uh, at a certain point, maybe a lot of us leave that behind mm-hmm. and we, we want to have our own fresh stuff. I mean, I still have blankets that were wedding gifts um, to my mom and dad who got married in 67. Mm-hmm. And we still use them. But the blankets, quite frankly, they're not going to last another 10 years. You know, <laughs> um, Every time we wash them, they start to get more and more threadbare. And when they're gone... We can get we get our own blankets. We can start our own tradition. You know, mm-hmm. um, maybe that's maybe that's where we're headed. Um, 
So, do you have anything like that in your family, or? Um, I have the um, well, I, I wear a ring that was my grandfather's ring. Okay, and then it was my father's ring until he passed, and now it is my ring, and so I, I wear it. It's nothing particularly fancy, but yeah. it's just a a remembrance of all the people and kind of a little bit of where it came from. Um, and and I've actually been thinking about this because um. There's a, a company that does a service where they, uh, using our, our new knowledge about how to create gemstones. Oh, yeah. Take the ashes of a loved one yeah. and convert them into a gemstone. So you could literally have family jewels. <laughs> I never thought of it. That's a little, I shouldn't laugh. It's a little macabre to laugh at that, but it is, you know, kind of good. And so it was like, you know, there's, there's this possibility of, of like passing down just a little chunk of yourself in a very small package down the line in a way that is not as bulky as, you know, these large sets of dishes or dining room tables, but a, a, you know, part of that that person in a, you know, this was once part of them in a very tangible way. That's something too, where if people were like, well, each of us should get a portion while well, you could portion it out. Then, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's an odd and kind of interesting idea. I know it's definitely <clears throat> macabre to some, but we had, we had uh, something uh, kind of interesting. So there's a uh, community of nuns and I don't know if they even still exist anymore. But one of the things that they would do, I think they're in the Chicagoland area because my uncle, my uncle John was the one who, who got um, uh, the thing. So they'll take the roses from um, funeral flowers for somebody's funeral and they'll take all the petals and roll them by hand into little rosary beads and then assemble them into actual rosaries. Really? And yeah. And, and so, you know big funerals you got a lot of flowers and you can get a lot of rosaries out of them. And, they, and they you know they, they they've got some sort of like uh i guess it's called filigree or something that that's wrapped around it to, to make these beads and we back in storage we've we've got uh quite a few of them um for the people that aren't as close they'll make like the short 10 bead things you know mm-hmm. and then for uh, the very close family members the whole long 50 bead thing and it's it's kind of a nice uh, remembrance, but I but I do think some people might might also see that as macabre, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, but the, I mean, the good thing about that is nobody gets left out if you've got enough flowers. Yeah. So, so buy more flowers. This is brought to you by the Flower Council. Um, and <laughs> oh that, yeah, we should do another uh, right now. This it could is. be brought by the Flower Council. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm uh, you know getting my. Uh, Oh, what is that show? Um, doesn't matter. Um, so this is River West Radio, mm. um, and we are here today because it we are running the year-end fund drive for River West Radio, uh, and you can go to riverwestradio.com to uh, give a donation, or you can go to their Facebook page and also donate there. So... Um Let's talk about... Well, here, I should reintroduce you again, too. Okay, though, yeah, that, So you're listening to a, uh, Why It's Good to Give a Philosophical uh, philosophical Perspectives with uh, Greg, Greg Sadler and Dan Hayes as we uh, figure it out. Now, this is a good time where I get to 
uh, say my crazy thoughts real quick because okay. of what I thought about as you were talking, uh, uh, as you're talking about things. And, and, uh, and so, uh, I had a, I was moving from a house and I had all this stuff and I had a stack of papers of, of baseball stuff, programs and stuff. And I always thought, Oh, you know, like I'm, it was all free and I'm just going to keep it because there's going to be this time that I'm going to enjoy it, but I'm going to move. So let me take a, an hour and whittle away, you know, get rid of a bunch of it. Then, you know, I hardly got any of it, got rid of any of it. Then I visited my, my parents who had moved from a house they'd been in for, you know, 20 some years and they were moving to a small senior living apartments. And so um, they're going through all of this stuff and seeing all of their stuff there in their new apartment really motivated me to, when I got home, immediately go to my stack of papers and throw it into the garbage, into the recycling. Because I had this imagination of this, this romanticized vision of myself going through and looking back at these, this stuff that I didn't even really care about to begin with. <laughs> and yeah. since then, and getting rid of a lot of things, I see like the the perfect example of or here imagine have you seen a curio cabinet might yes. fit in the corner oh, yeah. and mm -hmm. it has little glass um uh doors. doors on it so that you can see all of the curiosities that you've gotten and i have a well, i was at someone's house and they had a bunch of those and they all had were loaded with little figurines that they'd purchased oh, um man. like the whole apparently the whole line of them mm. and it gave me existential despair is the best way i can describe it because there's this belief in these items of having some more importance than they ever did or ever will yeah yeah i mean you have to ask what how how does the person take joy in them you know it, it, actually that there was that uh i mean it was like about a year or two ago the whole marie marie, marie Kondo, Kondo, yeah and, and con marie and and uh, some of the stuff that she said i don't agree with like you know the notion you should only have 50 books that's nonsense you know <laughs> especially if you're an academic there's no way that's gonna work um but that that whole idea of asking does this bring joy that's that's really a, a great question to ask. Um, I think a lot of objects don't bring joy. They they keep away sorrow, or they keep away fear, or you know they're they're more as we would say, apotreptic. That's the the word for that. They they keep things away, um, like charms almost. Um, you mean like well, I still have this. Things aren't that bad. Yeah. Yeah, or, or I, I'm I'm still holding on to this this uh, thing that we used to do together. You know, and it's it's ways that people deal with grief. I think sometimes um, there's so many objects that are mistaken as sen sentimental objects. Like, go ahead and keep those all of those precious things. You know, yeah. But like then you have the fake ones where you're just collecting them as an investment. Yeah, I, I mean that's how people when we get into the where it becomes really problematic that's how people become hoarders mm -hmm. you know they uh everything for the hoarder is a precious thing that must not be gotten rid of because you never know when you're going to need it you know we we have a few in my family we call it the sickness mm -hmm. and the and we're lucky enough that the people who have it can recognize it as a sickness and so they can like they have spouses or you know family members who allow them to keep it in check but they, you know, you let them alone and they'll they'll accumulate more and more stuff and and a lot of it is really useless stuff you know so and so um like 
we imbue something of ourselves onto an object once we call it our own. Yeah. And so like they're, they've done many, many um, studies about like just giving someone um, a cup, like give a half a class a cup okay. and then you um, ask the other half of the class, like how much that would they pay for that cup? And the people that have the cup, how much they would sell that cup for. Interesting. And, um, and I think they, they do it secretly. And the people that have the cup are always like several dollars more than the people that don't have the cup. Really? And so just the act of having the thing makes you value it greater than it is before you <laughs> actually own it. And so I feel like, especially like, you know, you're talking about your baseball programs of, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it, it is that thing and it's a memory of that moment and it is also mine. And I've, I'm to a certain extent imbued myself in that object. You know, it took, it took me a while. I, you know, I moved so much uh, when I was in college and then graduate school and um, from place to place. Um, and I held on to so much at first. And it, it took a while to learn how to let things go and realize that you're going to pretty soon you're going to fill up your place with other stuff anyway, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and there and there are a few things that I've, I've always kept, like my dad's banjo, you know, um, that that stayed with me the entire time, even when I wasn't playing it. Um, turns out it, it was good that it did because I, I play it now and it's also at the time it was a very cheap banjo and now it's a very expensive banjo <laughs> because there's so few of them left. Um, yeah. So one thing I did really find useful about, um, Marie Kondo's stuff is when you do give rid of something, I thought it was kind of silly at the time, but oh. the idea of thanking it for yeah, its yeah. service and, um, and I tried it and I did like, I, it, I, got a feeling that it was easier for me to let go of that thing because, you know, I think it's like going back to that imbuing part and I'm like physically or like mentally creating a break with yeah. that item. So let me ask you about that. And this, this ties in with the, the third G that we were going to discuss, which is gratitude, mm -hmm. right? Thanking it for its services, being grateful. Is that just a sort of like trick that we're playing with ourselves to make it easier to give the stuff up or is there an actual uh feeling of gratitude towards something that is not a person it's an inanimate object but we still have a feeling towards that thing i to certainly do it when i move out of a place oh when you've packed that last box and you think well let me have one little walk around and, okay. and i have a i have a feeling of gratitude to this entity that you i'm now separated from or i would just consider it my house yeah i mean i i can conceive of having it towards a car oh yeah oh yes know? when they get hurt yeah but a car is something that, I mean, a car is sort of like intermediate between a house and an object, isn't it? <laughs> right? It's a house that we move around in. <laughs> it's, it's the question of are we like anthropomorphizing our objects or cars or houses or are, we, yeah. or are we just seeing ourselves in them? Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting, too, if you think about a book, right? A book is not just a collection of words. A book is the author, mm -hmm. at least what we've got left of them. You know, Seneca, for example. I mean, he's long dead, um, but we we have the author through the the words that have been preserved. So if I if I give this book to you, which I'm not going to do because I need the book, but <sighs> Darn, I was. <laughs> 
coveting it. <laughs> but it, it's um, nice and yellow. If yeah, yeah, it's a great book. Um, and actually, that was, that book was a gift from from a client oh. um, who who reads the books and then. Once he's he's very utilitarian about this. When he reads the book, he's done reading the book. He sends them to me, hmm. um, and then you know they're they're either part of my collection or I divvy them out to other people. Um, in this case, I need the Seneca. So, um, <laughs> what was what was I? What was the point I was trying to make here? I think I lost track of it. The a little giver bit. and the receiver mm-hmm. story. Oh, so yeah, with 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 books though, you know, um, if we're if we're letting the book go. Are we letting that person in, go in some respect? I mean, we can always go to the library and get it, but let's say mm. it was a book. There's only one copy of it, mm. you know, and we we're never going to be able to read it again. Mm-hmm. We give it to somebody who's on the other side of the world. That almost constitutes death, kind of. Yeah, you know, just like uh, when or like an end of a relationship. Yeah, I was I was thinking like um, when. Uh, a lot of Irish came over to the New World. They were expecting never to come back, and they would hold wakes for them. Oh, wow! Because, I didn't know that. Yeah, and so this is like you know, this is the final goodbye. Yeah, and they were probably right too. Most you know? of them, yeah, yeah. I will say this: uh, totally off topic. <laughs> um, when my dad died, so my my mom grew up in Chicago. And she, my my family on her side is French Canadian, and mm-hmm. so like everybody in Chicago lived in their own little ethnic districts. Uh, the French Canadians lived with the Menominee, uh, who often spoke French as well. And to the south of them, I think it was, were the Irish. Mm-hmm. And and every once in a while, the Irish would come into your you know uh, part of town, and they they you know either you'd beat them up or they'd beat you up and all that. And so she had to go to school with the Irish girls. And at first it was very rough. They'd beat her up all the time, but then she became friends with them. And so we had all these, these like people that we knew that were Irish. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they got us started on things like the leprechauns coming, you know, on St. Patrick's Day and drink the milk <laughs> green and all that. But when my dad died, my mom was just a wreck. Of course, mm-hmm. you know, she had two young kids and his dad living with us to manage and and you know she was you know 36 when when he died um so she had to handle a lot so her her friends stepped in and they're like we're having an irish wake and i remember them doing that at our house you know and and i always thought that's that's actually a great tradition because seemed like they're having so much fun and and you know being involved with all the funeral stuff the rest of it was not fun at all (laughs) so I, th- I think when, 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 uh, I, some, again, some people might see this as irreverent, but I kind of think that, you know, uh, when, when we have deaths, maybe things that take the load off a bit can, can be quite good, you know? Well, you know, uh, that's, it's giving into a group empathy. A, yeah. You know, giving back to our, giving ideas here it is you know river west radio oh yeah we should do a uh uh one one more appeal very quickly yeah. so if you're listening to this uh which can, you are indeed <laughs> you are yes. there's no if uh consider uh donating to river west radio you can do that at riverwestradio.com uh also check out the facebook page for river west radio and uh, if you're on the, the riverwestradio.com thing, you'll see a donate button. Click that button. Donate there. Uh, There's right. also a, a shop button. 
So, oh, like, if good, you like good. to give, but you also like to get a little something, <laughs> I mean, come on now. Or get something for somebody else. There you go. You can get a, a T-shirt uh, with a logo of your choice, size, and color of your choice. Excellent. And if you live in the River West uh, neighborhood, come on by 824 East Center Street. You know, pretty much 4 to 10-ish uh, seven days a week, kind of. Uh, <laughs> There's some beautiful but, uh, hats over there. Really, is going to be worth it for uh, any last-minute gifts that you need for anyone. Um, it's uh, also we have a raffle, a raffle uh, ticket that you can get for five dollars, where the grand prize is a River West experience. Uh, we're going to have to uh, go over that some other time because the list is very long and it's uh, worth over $500 for the grand prize. Um, and it's going to be a lot of fun to use those gift certificates. Yeah. All right. But let's get back into... <laughs> so we were talking about um, what, like, if you get a gift, like, what should you expect? And we were talking about how, you know, uh, it's not in our control exactly what we gift. Yeah. Uh, but... Maybe it could be a little bit more in our control. Why does the gift itself have to be a surprise? Um, there's this like idea That's here. That's another great point. Yeah. 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 Can, yeah, can it? Does it have to be a guessing game, or is would it be better for all parties to actually like be very vocal about these are the things I would like, and uh, it doesn't need to be a surprise because then you actually have a greater chance of actually getting the thing that you would like. Yeah, I think the, the thing that people struggle with with that is the... It, it seems to take spontaneity out of it in some way, but, but it, it really shouldn't because, I mean... It's not really a spontaneous act going to the store or going, you know, online and buying somebody something and then putting it in the wrapper and all all, all that's a lot of deliberate action over over time. And if you really want the person to be happy with something, why not get them something they actually do want and won't have to as we were talking about earlier, re-gift in order to to put back into circulation. Um I remember when I was a kid, we would have these uh, J.C. Penney and Sears catalogs that would come mm-hmm. around around Christmas time, and we would like go through them, and our parents would have us make a list of the things that we might be interested in in getting, and uh, we'd have to put like the page, mm-hmm. <laughs> the object description, and then like it would usually be like object B or something like that on that page, um, and of course we were only interested in toys, you know. Of course. Uh, and and most of the catalogs are clothes or lawn, you know, things or car things. So there was really a small sliver of stuff that mm-hmm. we were picking from. And if it wasn't in the Sears or JCPenney catalog, we probably weren't getting it, mm-hmm. you know. So that's that's what we would do. And and now that I think about it, pretty much all of the stuff that we would get would be from that that mm-hmm. those those two stores. And that uh, kind of dovetails into the next like idea of uh don't expect a reaction so when you're giving gifts oh yeah you know like once again what is in your control if you're the gift giver um you you there's no um you you can't force someone to be ecstatic or grateful or yeah. whatever for the gifts that you give and the the action your own action should be the the point that you're trying to uh, work towards not the reaction of the individual you know and a lot of the time that we are looking for a reaction we're looking for it at the wrong time because many objects that we might 
give or receive, we don't we don't really f- uh, fully appreciate the usefulness of them until we're in a situation. Like think about you know we were talking about underwear and socks, mm-hmm. right? So underwear, I mean, I guess people buy them, you know, for each other when they're dating or things like that. But you know, for the most part, that was like being a kid and getting stuck with with that at Christmas. But socks, okay, you you, you get the socks and. You're like, oh, the socks, it's nice. But then later on when you're actually wearing them and they turn out to be very you know, cushioned or they fit your shoes just right or they're very warm, then suddenly you appreciate the gift. And I don't know, maybe then you would send like a text or something. Hey, those socks you got me are really great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's that very much delayed gratification for understanding what that gratification is. And yeah. so maybe we should just be more... Um, present about uh, one it, it does come to the full realization to express that gratitude to the people that gave us our objects. Yeah, maybe maybe that's that's something that we we can't afford to neglect. Mm-hmm. There has to be a kind of follow up. Um, but the other thing too is so think about like Christmas gift giving, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in my, my family's tradition, which we don't really practice anymore because it's so hard to get everybody together, we would open all the gifts on Christmas Eve and we would start with the youngest person and then circulate all the way up to the oldest person and then, you know, start with the youngest person again. And by the time that we got through that, the kids were like getting, you know, antsy and anxious to open up another gift and, you know, we doing it on Christmas Eve, by the time that we were done, it would probably be like, you know, 10 o'clock at night. Um, people are starting to get irritable, wanting to go to bed. You know, midnight mass is coming up, all these <laughs> sorts of things. And so to expect like the big, oh, my gosh, this is so great reaction is 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 uh, really counterproductive, you know. Mm-hmm. Um. So uh, one question really quick. Uh, should we donate anonymously or not? Oh, you mean when, when we're giving? Yeah. That's a good question. I mean, what do, you, what do you think about that? I feel like it depends. It's situational. Um, there are certain times when uh, giving, especially like saying, I'm going to give and I'm going to match like whatever you oh, give. Oh, yeah. And that, that way, it, you know, making it not anonymous gives an extra potential oomph to get other people to donate. And so that that's a situation where I think... Sort of like a catalyst. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you're well-known. You can use the, the power of your uh, you know, celebrity or whatever it happens well, that's, to be. Yeah, yeah. I suppose if you have a wide audience, maybe... I mean, it might be tempting to, to donate anonymously. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I know some people who actually donate anonymously and one of the motives for it is because they don't want to be hit up by everybody else asking them for gifts. Right? <laughs> they don't want to be known as being generous because uh. then they're going to be constantly harassed. Um, but it, but if you do have a huge like social media footprint, um, maybe the sheer fact of you giving to something is likely to cause other people to give. So it would probably be better for you to, to, to be upfront about it. Uh-huh. You know? Uh, like if you're a basketball player, or I don't know, the mayor or somebody like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're not catalyzing, what do you think? If, Should you give anonymously yeah. rather than, you know, uh, I don't know. Um, 
It, uh, what, what sort of thing are we talking about? Are we talking about like donating to like a charitable organization or like making a donation to River West Radio or well, either or? Like and we could all uh, help and donate to River West Radio. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think that we were talking about this earlier, that the people who donate having their names read off is it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's an acknowledgement there. Um, what do you what do you do in the case of anonymous donors? Do you just say, well, we have a anonymous donor as well, or? Well, I think all the anonymous anonymous donors will find out when they donate anonymously. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't had that yet. Oh, really? That's interesting. Oh no, you know what? I take that back. We did have a gentleman whose name I will will not mention, who uh, had money that part of his inheritance and uh, and uh, gave it to Riverwest Radio. We said, well, would you like in return? And he said, nothing. Okay. Hmm. Well, thank you. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a nice investment in the community. Actually, that, that's something we should talk about, too. So, I mean, as, we, as we're sort of closing out the hour. So donating to something like River West Radio is, is not just putting the money into the kitty you know, at one time because it gets used for this, this organization that, that's bringing all these different voices to not just the Milwaukee area, but because it's also heard on the internet, essentially worldwide. Um, it's community-based radio, and it's part of keeping uh, the sense... I mean, actually, Dan, you should talk about this. What, what is River West, for people who, who don't know about it? So River West, at least for me, is like a feeling. Like, I went to uh, college in Madison, and I, every time I came back here and, like, you know, walk into the public house or art bar, I just, like feel this this weird community um and like weird in the, the best possible way because i'm i don't know it just it felt like pe- my people and home then it's uh, it's this eclectic group of artists and and just you know kind of salts of the earth people um a whole you know it's i believe the most uh diverse neighborhood in the state as, yeah as well as been told and um, just a place that, you know, people are working together despite, you know, all the differences and backgrounds that we've created this little, you know, I don't know, bohemian wonderland. Yeah, I think of it as kind of a nexus where a whole bunch of different things all come together, mm-hmm. you know. So um, we're winding down here. So I was thinking we should talk about the Stoke uh, Fellowship really quick. Sure, if we can plug that. So one of the things that, that's cool about the Milwaukee area is we do have uh, groups and organizations that are devoted to practical philosophy. So, I mean, you can, you can go to some of the schools in here and study academic philosophy, but you can also learn how to apply uh, philosophical systems and traditions in real life. And the Milwaukee Stoic Fellowship is probably the biggest one. Dan and I are both co-organizers of the Milwaukee Stoic Fellowship, and uh, you know Dan uh, holds. A, do you want to talk very quickly yeah, about so that? So we, I, I run a, a weekly meetup uh, Sunday mornings at nine a.m. And when it's warm, we walk around Lake Park, and when it's cold, we um, sit and discuss uh, Stoic philosophy over at uh, the Humboldt Cafe at nine a.m. And you can find us at meetup.com. We also have a monthly meeting the last Thursday of the month at the Shorewood Public Library. Except and, for this month. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And, and holiday months, it's a little bit different. Um, and we you know, work on practices and read texts and answer questions and do all sorts of other 
uh, cool stuff with it as well. And so, where can they find out more information about these events? So the MKE Stoic Fellowship is on Meetup. Um, not do you know the the website offhand or not offhand? If you just type in MKE Stoic, there it'll we go. Pop up. All right. Well, you've been listening to Why It's Good to Give Philosophical Perspectives with Greg Sadler and Dan Hayes. Thank you very much for coming in. And thank you uh, to all the people that are going to RiverWestRadio.com, clicking that donate button and going to Facebook and sharing some love there. All right. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Thank you for coming. Come on. You are listening to WXRP. You are listening to WXRP.